true, isn't it? We owe it all to him. We owe it all to him. I'm going to give you an invitation today. In a few moments. To make a decision that only you will know about. You and the Jesus we just sang about. And I hope you'll make the right decision. I've been praying that the Spirit would speak to my heart and that he do the same to yours. Let's pray. Oh God, how true we owe it all to you. We owe it all to our Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Make it clear. We humbly pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the quiz for the day. What goes yap, 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 and is brown and red with a little bit of white and black and comes running through our neighborhood and I saw him once in our yard. What would that be? Our little granddaughter spent the uh, week with us and their mother. They're up from uh, Kettering. And so I said, hey, Ella, she's seven. I said, Ella, Papa's preaching on uh, animals, four animals. I bet you you can't guess what the animals are. She says, what? I said, how about this one? Papa, that's a donkey. I said, okay, this is going to be hard. She said, that is a lion. And I knew she was going to miss this one. I said, what about this one? She said, Papa, that is so obvious. And you know what? She got it. You haven't even gotten it. What goes yap, 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 yap? She just gets it right off. Of course, she's, you know... She's a chip off her her parents. Very bright girl for seven, I might add, in case you were asking. There it is right there. Come on. You knew it was a fox, didn't you? Yes, you did. You said, that's a fox. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what the animal is for for next week, but the sound is bah, and you can't get it. You are going to think the rest of this, the rest of this week coming. Isn't that a beautiful fox? We have them here. They're all over. One day a man came running up to Jesus and he said, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, oh, really? Guess what? Birds have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no, nowhere to lay his head. The next time you're feeling rather poor, I want you to remember that line. Whatever you have, Jesus didn't have. Nowhere to lay his head. One day the Pharisees came up to Jesus and they said, Listen, young man, you need to know that Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh, you need to know that Herod, wrong king, you need to know that Herod is out to kill you. You know what Jesus said? I wish I had a video of Jesus' facial expression. He said, You go tell that fox that I'll die when it's time for me to die and not a day too soon. Foxes, they're everywhere in Scripture. You know what the greatest love song in all of Holy Scripture? Come on, open your Bible to the Song of Solomon. So you, you, you find the Psalms in the middle, of course, and then there's Proverbs. You're, you're moving toward the end of the Old Testament. See if you can find Song of Solomon. It's a bit of a trick. But um, after the Proverbs will be Ecclesiastes, and then you come to Song of Solomon. I want you to see this right out of this, this beautiful, beautiful love song. Here is Song of Solomon, chapter 2. 
verse 15. All right? Catch for us the foxes. This is uh, a husband and wife singing back and forth to each other. Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards. The New King James reads, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. Catch the little foxes. That is precisely, by the way, how compromise works. Just a little compromise here. Just a little compromise there. And before you know it, the whole vineyard is spoiled. Moral of, moral of the story, watch out for the little foxes. Once upon a long ago time, there was a, there was a bright young man sitting on his daddy's throne. My humble opinion is, it's a tad too early, but daddy died and the throne is his. Turns out his mother and father, and that this was before he was born, his mother and father had been embroiled in a tangled and adulterous imbroglio. A scandal in every sense of the word. God is heartbroken over David and Bathsheba. He's ready for a new start. We've got to have a new start. And so David and Bathsheba, have a, the first baby died. They have a second child. And they decide to name him Peaceable, Solomon. But God said, no, 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 no. This is the only time he did it. He said, I, got, I have a nickname for that boy. And you're going to name him Jedediah, the one the Lord loves. And in fact, a few days into his reign. But wouldn't you like to have a dream like this? God shows up in a dream. God shows up to young Solomon, Jedediah, and he says, I have, it, I have an offer to make. Ask me anything you wish, and I'll give it to you. And in that dream, this young man, he, he, he pauses for a moment, and then he looks up to where God is, and he says, you know what I want? I am such a boy. <laughs> I'm not able to, to discern good and evil unless you give to me. Give me wisdom that I might govern your people as you would have me do. God steps back and he says, you know what? This is incredible. I thought you might ask for wealth. I thought you might ask for victory over the enemies. I thought you might ask for honor. But because you ask for wisdom, guess what? I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you everything else besides the wealth, the conquering of the enemy. You have it all. He's gone. And a few days later, the land of Israel found out that this boy had received, had received the gift of wisdom. Two prostitutes come into the throne room. Kings is doing the business of the kingdom. These two ladies come in. The first lady speaks. She said, long live the king, your highness. This lady and I lived together. We had babies about the same time. My baby was born three days ahead of hers. And the other night, while I was sound asleep, she tiptoed into my room because inadvertently she rolled over on that infant and she suffocated it. It was dead. She took the dead baby, put it under me, and took my baby. When I woke up in the morning, I looked into that face. I knew this is not my boy. The other woman speaks up. No, 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 Your Honor. It's the other way around. I'm the one that owns the living baby. And, and the record reads, and so they argued before the king. And Solomon stops. He said, yo, 
Give me a sword. Guard, bring it in. All right, here's the deal. I want you to cut this baby in half, right down the middle. I want you to give one half to that woman, and I want you to give one half to that woman. And the woman who spoke first, my Lord, oh, King, live forever. No, 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 no. You just, just, just give the baby to her. That's okay. Keep the baby alive. And the other one said, no, King, that's a brilliant solution. Just cut it in half. We'll each take a half. And Solomon says, yo, there's the mother. Right? Of course. Watch this. And so it was that when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. And God gave Solomon, Jedediah, wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. I'm telling you what, just a suggestion. If God ever, if God ever shows up in a dream for, of yours and he asks you, what do you want most? Just ask me. I'll give it to you. I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you, ask for the giver of wisdom who happens to be the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. One gift and you get every other gift with it. I'm telling you the truth. Red letter words, when Jesus was here, what did he say? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's in the continuous tense. To those who continually ask him, those who ask him day after day after day. You want one gift that brings every other gift with it? Come on. Every morning, ask for the Holy Spirit. I do. You don't have to be anybody special, just you and me. We can ask, give me that gift today. I want that wisdom. Mm. Why, even the queen of Sheba shows up, God bless her. She's pagan, by the way. She has heard. She has heard about this king, and I want, you to, I want you to see how she heard about him. When the queen of Sheba heard about the famous Solomon and notice this, and his relationship to the Lord. Wouldn't that be something if people where you live or people where you work, they notice there's something about this guy. There is something about this woman. There is something about this 20-something. Every time, this teen, every time he shows up, there, it's got to be that, that friendship of his. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the famous Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions, science and philosophy and poetry and art. Oh, she says after the grilling, oh, how happy your people must be, how happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God. She's a pagan. Praise be to Yahweh of Israel who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. But that's the whole point. Whenever God gives a gift, with that gift comes the opportunity to tell people where you got the gift, whatever your gift is. Come on. Don't keep it a secret. Let your relationship with Jesus be what people pick up on 
after they quiz you for a while. Nearly half a millennium before Jedediah came on the throne, the children of Israel are still wandering in the wilderness. They're coming on the brink of the promised land, and God comes along and says, yo, I want to tell you something. I hope you never have a king, all right? Ever. You don't need a king. I am your king. This is what we call a theocracy. You follow me, and we will, we will conquer the world for my kingdom. But if you do choose a king, it's amazing to me. My friend John Peckham, you know what he calls that? He calls that middle knowledge. It's not something that's going to happen necessarily. It's something that could happen. God has all this eventuality. If you go this way, this is going to happen. If you go this way, I can tell you this is going to happen. Middle knowledge. But if you should choose a king, let me give you three standards to have a king. Here we go. This is God speaking, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, and when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. What is it about whenever we're in a, a wider community, our tendency, human tendency, is to try to be like everybody else around. We, we can't be unique. We can't just stand out. No, we got to fit in. Why is that? And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Okay. Then I want you to be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't, don't place a foreigner. Don't put a pagan who rules over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. Why? For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back, to, back that way again. You don't need those horses. You know why? Because horses are tanks. Yeah, there were the tanks of that day. And the more tanks you had, the more powerful you are. But I'm your king. You don't have to worry about power. I'll have the power for you, okay? So we don't need many horses. God keeps going. You must not take many wives, or the king's heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate, by the way, standard number three, large amounts of silver and gold. Let's just, for the fun of it, you and me, run those three standards by and see how, how so Solomon fares with those three, three divine standards for kingship. Okay, let's take the first one. The first one is horses, okay? How does Solomon do with horses? Back to 1 Kings chapter 10, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. We have a family in this parish that has 135 horses. And when I heard that number, I said, you can't, you've got to be kidding me. 12,000, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. Solomon's horses were imported from, where did God say, don't go back to get your horses? Where did he say, don't go to Egypt? That's where he got them. Imported from Egypt and from Q. The royal merchants purchased them from Q at the current price. But dear Jedediah, God bless him. He decided, you know, it's not that big a deal. I know God said you're not supposed to have a lot of horses, but you know what? I got to have horses. It's just a little, you know, it's, it's, it's a compromise. Surely it's not going to matter in the end. There is that dangerous word, compromise. You know what's right, but you figure it's such a little disobedience, it surely won't matter. Come on, God, you can't be serious. 
All right, there were three of these standards. Standard number one, horses. What's the second one? Let's put it up. The second one, gold. What did God just say there in Deuteronomy? He must not accumulate large amounts of gold and silver. Well, let's see how it goes here. The weight of the gold, this is Solomon's annual revenue, all right? We got some uh, economists in this in this room. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents of gold. Uh, how, how much is that? Not including the revenues from the merchants and the traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. All right. So how much gold is that? David Tasker, my friend, who used to be a doctoral student here, he's in, uh, in the South Pacific. He writes the commentary, and Andrew's, the, the Andrew's Bible commentary has just come out a few uh, months ago, and they had just the Old Testament out. I got it. It's a great commentary. New Testament's still coming. So David Tasker writes, okay, how much, how much is that uh, revenue? I'm quoting him now. So- Solomon's annual take on gold was about 50,000 pounds of gold a year, not to mention silver, ivory, and other luxury goods. But there it comes again, that morally debilitating word, compromise. You know, it can't matter. How could this be that big a deal? You know it's right, but you figure it's such a little disobedience, it won't matter anyway. By the way, please notice that when compromise continues to rule, every following compromise is more egregious than the previous one. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. There's one category we haven't reached yet. What's the other category? Uh, we, we, had, we had horses, we had gold. What's, it, what's the third one? Huh? Wives. Oh, that's right. Wives. What's that line from Deuteronomy? He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Here we go. First Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon, however... Compromise always introduces a however. I know the rule. However, King Solomon loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Song of Solomon was composed. These two were singing to each other. It was such a beautiful love story. If it had kept that way, and by the way, we are told she became a believer of Israel's God. So he has everything going for him. The queen from the little princess has become a believer in Israel's God. However... Solomon had loved many foreign women from the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Sidonians and the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, yo, 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 you must not intermarry with them. No, no, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Now, I want you to watch this. You see these two words, held fast? That's the, that's the very same word in Genesis 2.24 when the Creator blesses the marriage of Adam and Eve and he says, a man will leave his parents and he will hold fast. He will cleave, the old English was. He will cleave to his wife. He cleaved. In fact, if you have the King James, it says he clave, whoever uses that word. He held fast to them in love. Oh, Dwight, we got a problem here? This is a real love story. There are a whole lot of people who are telling real love stories that are not the love story God ever had in mind for you. Just listen to me carefully. That love story that you say is so wonderfully put together by Almighty God himself, you know it was not the love story God created you for and intended you for. But you say, I'm in love, so it has to be good. No, it doesn't. There's too much self-delusion that takes place once you start compromising. 
It just gets worse and worse and worse until, oh my, oh my, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. He has a thousand women. Now that's trouble in anybody's book. But he has 300 concubines. It's like the little kid that came back from church school one day. He said, hey, mommy, we learned about King Solomon today and his 300 porcupines. <laughs> no, that's not what these are. These are concubines. They're prickly. They'll, they'll hurt you. 300. 1,000. What happens? Ah, Solomon grew old. His wives turned... Ah, that's exactly what God said would happen. As he grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. This word for fully devoted is the Hebrew word shalom. He has no more peace. I'm telling you, read my lips. When you live a life of compromise and it goes from bad to worse, you're going to end up, you're going to end up no peace. No peace. He was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. Oh, my. I've had men talk to me, and they're trying to justify to me the affair that they've had and the divorce and then the marrying of this woman. Yep, I listened to them. And they're telling me, I'm telling you what, it is such a blessed relationship with each other and with God. And I am saying to myself, who is fooling whom here? Don't you give me this business. Well, I'm closer to God now. You aren't. You aren't. That's the nature of compromise. It's called shut down in May. Does it, can it get worse? Oh, please. Solomon, who builds one of the wonders of the world, the mighty temple in Jerusalem, on a hill east of Jerusalem, looking down on the temple to the God of Israel, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable God of Moab, and for Molech. This is the child sacrifice. Burn him alive for me so that you'll have me blessing your life, God, the detestable God of the Ammonites. Keep reading. And he did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And the Lord became angry with Solomon. Hit the pause button right there. There's some people who have this picture of God's love and mercy, and we sang about God's love and mercy, but some people think that's just the end all. There's no room in some people's understanding of God for anger. You're crazy. He's watching what's going, he's watching what's going down. He's losing an entire nation. This nation will be wrecked at the end. He's watching this, and he's losing a soul. This is Jedediah, the man I love. You don't think he's angry? Listen, if you were a parent and somebody was doing what you're, what you're doing, your child is doing what you're doing, would you not be furious? Would you still be loving them? Of course you would. Would you still be longing for them? You betcha. But you would be as mad as you know what. Because that's what you know what is all about. People robbing children of the Heavenly Father and putting them there. I got another one. There's another one. Of course he's angry. You can quit trying to explain God by talking his anger out. There's anger. You know why? 
because he's watching a, a soul melt down. He has loved this boy from the beginning. I will give you anything you ask. You ask me. And the boy prays the perfect prayer. And now it's all gone. I can tell you who have given your parents a bit of a heartache over the course of your life, there never was a day they stopped loving you. There never was a day. Were they angry with you? They were angry. But they kept loving you. Maybe she'll come back. Maybe he'll come back. Don't give up, honey. We'll keep loving. That's God. The reason people don't like the picture of God being angry is because nobody wants to admit their sins displease God hugely. God cannot forever wink at your moral ignorance and disobedience. Oh, you said it. It says in the Bible, God winked. No, he may wink over the pagan's ignorance, but he will not condone what the one who knows better knows he or knows she should be doing or should not be doing. He's not winking over that. Compromise always starts innocently. One little indiscretion, one inconsequential disobeying here, and before we know it, shut down. Mine. Prophets and Kings is great retelling of the story of the kings. You've got to read that book sometime. At first, as wealth and worldly honor came to Solomon, Jed Jedediah, he remained humble, and great was the extent of his influence. Yeah, we've heard. But after a morning of great promise, his life was darkened by apostasy. So gradual was Solomon's apostasy that before he was aware of it, it's so slow, you can't even see the train coming. It's just, it's a slow motion train wreck, but you don't see it. So gradual Solomon's apostasy that before he was aware of it, he had wandered far from God. No, almost imperceptibly, he began to trust less and less in divine guidance and blessing and to put confidence in his own strength. Little by little, he withheld from God that unswerving obedience which was to make Israel a peculiar people. And he conformed more and more and more and more closely to the customs of the surrounding nations. I could give you chapter and verse of men and women I have watched gradually descend into apostasy or willful disobedience. I have visited them. I have pleaded in some cases, pleaded with them. But the compromise they have made has solidified their sad rebellion against the Spirit of Jesus. And they always, to a man and woman, they always tell me that they're actually doing better now with Jesus than ever before. You can't be serious. The height of self-deception. But let's say you're not better off. Let's say right now your conscience is saying, you know what, you are really not better off. This is not going well at all. Is there, any, is there any step you can take and turn this around? I've got great news for you. Same book, a few, a few paragraphs later. But none, oh, I love this, but none who have fallen need give up to despair. Aged men, and I'm adding, and women, once honored, once honored of God, may have defiled their souls, sacrificing virtue on the altar of lust. You know what lust is? It's not, all, it's not just sex. Lust is whatever you have to have, and you have to have it right now. That's lust. I have to have it. 
It can be, it can be riches. It can be a position professionally. It can be a social, a, a social standing. You have to have it, and you have to have it right now. They may have defiled their souls, sacrificing virtue on the altar of lust, but keep reading. But if they repent, if they forsake their sin, if they turn to God, there is still hope for them. Can I get an amen out of this group? There is still hope for them. He who declares in, in Revelation chapter 2, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. He is the same one who gives the invitation in Isaiah 55, let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. God hates sin, the writer pens, but he loves the sinner. And that's the gospel truth. I will heal their backsliding, he declares, and I will love them freely. Oh, I love that. I got to put that. We got to ISO that on the screen. I will heal their blacks, backs sliding and I will love them freely. You can get back from where you are. What enormous hope God embedded in the nickname he gave Solomon. Solomon, every time you hear your name, I want you to know you are the man I have loved. I need you to never forget that. Did God, did God know Solomon's life was going to crash and burn? Of course he knew. But love of the Lord was a piece of gospel truth embedded in that young king's mind so that when the day came and his life has crumbled into ashes, when the day came where the king has no way to go back, he is certain. When the day would come and he would hear his nickname called again, Jedediah, the man who was loved by God, God knew that that gospel planting could spring back into a glorious harvest and a life almost totally lost at the last minute, get saved. You say, that's not the case. Oh, yes, it is. Solomon reversed his life and wrote Ecclesiastes. Read Ecclesiastes sometime. It's, it's everything has turned to ashes on my tongue. It's just emptiness. It's just vanity. It's just, there's just nothing out there. I've tried everything, and I'm empty. But it ends, fear God and give glory to him and keep his commandments. For God will bring every thought into judgment, whether it be good or bad. The last words, Solomon says, I'm back. Too late for the family, too late for the nation, too late for the career, but not too late for the Savior. Oh, I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely. Oh my. Look, last line from Prophets and Kings, yet the Lord forsook him not. For Jedediah, at last, the discipline of suffering had accomplished its work. It was painful. Are you kidding? All salvation comes through suffering. Jesus' suffering and your suffering and my suffering. Some sinners would love to catch the, fat, the express elevator straight into heaven and say, Yo, I'm here. I, look, I said I'm sorry. Come on, let's go. No, 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 no. There is no magic wand in heaven that can dispel the harvest and the consequences of those little foxes of compromise that have spoiled and utterly ru ruined life's vineyard. The law is unbreakable. It will break you. You cannot break it. What a man sows, what a woman sows, that shall she also reap. You can't break it. 
And nobody says, give him a, give him a break. Give him a get-out-of-jail-free card. You, nobody comes out. What you sow, you reap. Solomon reaped in spades what he sowed. But he came to the Savior. Oh, yes, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But ladies and gentlemen, separating us from the love of God and separating us from the sin of our heart are two different matters. Of course, God's love is relentless. He will never, he will never quit loving you. But our sin must be repented. Our sin must be relinquished. It must be rejected. Calvary is evidence enough that the end of sin is always painful suffering and crucifixion. Now, if you wish, and you don't want Jesus to deal with your sin, guess what? It'll be your death that will pay the penalty. It'll be, it'll be covered. You will pay it. But if you are not willing to pay the ultimate price for a life of compromise and rebellion, there is a Savior. There is a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Oh, He loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm not talking to you teenagers up there. It does matter what you do. Don't you get to thinking, I'll just go and sow my wild oats and I'll sleep with a girl here and I'll sleep with a boy there and then it'll all be fine. Nope. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. But for those who are older, embittered and battled and still struggling to hang on, I need you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. The backsliding that you have lived, you have, your life has been a morality tale. The backsliding you have lived, Jesus saw it coming. He made full preparation, and he died for that sin. He died for those compromises, and he's saying, boy, come back to me. It's not too late. Are you breathing? Good. Come back to me. Come back. Oh, my. Next Sabbath, we're going to come right here to the cross. Oh, there'll be no more beautiful service than next Sabbath. <laughs> we'll come right here to the foot of the cross. But I need to ask you, is there something in your life right now that needs to be given up to Jesus? All right? I'm talking to you. Don't you look at your wife. I'm talking to you. Is there something in your life that needs to be given to Jesus right now? Those compromises have to come to an end. What are you going to wait? Manana? Manana never comes. Today's your day. You just say in your heart, Lord Jesus, you know the story of my compromises. I'm giving them to you. I cannot get myself back, but I'm trusting you. I give you. I surrender all to you. Everything. Everything.